ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I'm concentrating on the World Test Championship final first, yeah. so uh, Mohammed Shami and Siraj and uh, Shadul Thakur is probably on my mind first. Yeah. Um, that's what's uh, important to us right now and then, and then I'll switch on and, and worry about Stuart Broad if, uh, if they select him first test this time. That is David Warner, noting that while everyone is focused on him versus Stuart Broad, there's another big game first. Australia v India in London to determine who is the best nation in men's test cricket. It's basically a test cricket grand final. So why is there a sense that this is just an Ashes warm-up game? A kind of supercharged tour match. What does that tell us about the stakes for England versus Australia and the overall landscape of global cricket? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Sam Perry is a cricket writer and one half of the Grey Cricketer podcast. Sam, the World Test Championship is allegedly the culmination of two years of test cricket determining who's the best team in global red ball cricket. It's meant to be the grand final of test cricket. It's played in London between Australia and fierce rivals India. So why is this feeling and being viewed as a warm-up game for the Ashes? (laughs) Yeah, I I suppose that perception of it being a warm-up largely comes from Australia, a, a country where I think our perception of what cricket is and what's important and what isn't is still quite separated or divorced from what the ICC or global cricket wants it to be. Uh, as much as the ICC has confected this uh, World Test Championship final for the last couple of cycles, in Australia, the main game is the Ashes towards Anderson and Anderson is bold. It's all over. All out for 68. Australia have won and of course they have retained the ashes. I think we have our home summer where we switch on for three or four weeks and watch the cricket and I know I say this cynically and then the second order is an away ashes where you can turn on the TV on a Friday night, maybe with a glass of red wine, hope Australia takes a couple of wickets, feel good about yourself, maybe make it into the second session if you're feeling good and wake up to see how the day went. So it just so happens that this particular final coincides with the Ashes starting next week, uh, which I think between that and footy taking place gives rise to that idea of it being a little bit of a warm-up to the main act. And, and you know, Patrick, only only cricket could confect a scenario where the grand final becomes a warm-up uh, to the next series, uh, but that's the scenario we find ourselves in. So if Australia is not hyper-engaged with this, what about the superpower that it is India? Do they care? Yeah, I think they do, mate, to be honest. Like, I think with the direction of Indian cricket, national success is still something that the entire country, unified, is very hungry for. India is, and I don't mean to speak for the entire country, and you can't do that, but there's a number of boxes they would like to tick when it comes to national cricket. I don't think they feel satisfied with the number of ICC trophies that they have in the cabinet. I think the country is very aware that they are the emerging or current monopoly in the game that probably doesn't have the international results to show for it. And on top of that, the country is so mad for cricket. Anything that is on will be... Uh, supported, you know, zealously and, and fervently. So I think they are up for it. But 
how up for it can you be when, for you know, in India's case, none of the players have been able to prepare for this test match in any serious way, apart from Chiteshwar Pajara, who was not <laughs> selected for the IPL, so has been playing for Sussex. Pajara nudges that onto the onside. And there we are. There's the applause around New Road. Another wonderful innings from Chetishwar Pajara. That's his third century of the season. Other than that, they've just finished their IPL season, which really is the main game in India. They're straight on to a flight over to England, trying to adjust to sort of early summer conditions in London. It's hardly the preparation that you would engage in if you were genuinely serious about winning the game. From an Australian POV, I feel like this team has been seen as the almost side for so many reasons. How important is these six fixtures, you know, the WTC and then the Ashes, in terms of defining the Cummins era, really? Oh, it's, it's everything, really. This side has got its context probably from the great Australian sides of the early 2000s. Like, I I can't remember a cricket side that has within it so many either current or emerging all-time greats that doesn't really have the team legacy to go with it. You know, you could probably pick four to six guys in the side who into the future will be regarded as greats of the game. And yet at no point in this team's tenure together, have they ever really for for a decent amount of time dominated the world game? They know that. And this is their opportunity to, I suppose, assume that mantle or to ensure that they actually may be seen that way into the future. So it may be a lot of pressure, but at the same time, they'll probably embrace the idea that they actually can finish this summer in England with something approaching the legacy that they probably deserve. So what you're talking about is the stakes there, and I guess it's always enormous for an Ashes series, but it also feels especially so for this series in the context of global cricket. How much is the changing landscape of global cricket adding an extra sense of weight to this series between England and Australia? I guess it depends who you ask. There is this sort of foreboding sense that this may be one of the last ever normal Ashes series. I mean, I put normal in because the Ashes is still scheduled for the next couple of cycles in the Future Tours program. So we are still going to see it, but the iterations of it may look different. You know, I only say this tongue in cheek, but the Major League cricket season starts in the middle of this Ashes season, the Major League cricket season being the new USA competition. You know, this may be the last Ashes, for example, as silly as this sounds, where your your ability to participate isn't dependent upon the permission of the owner of the Seattle Orcas, <laughs> you know, um, because the direction of cricket is very fast changing to one where players pursue follow the sun contracts and those contracts may be year round as we've seen in the case of of Joffre Archer so it's a bit difficult to imagine that that may be the case but it actually isn't that silly <laughs> you know they, these think these things are happening at pace and the the franchise owners are assuming more and more power because their pockets are just frankly so much deeper and their networks are so much more interconnected around the world now that uh, I think test cricket and international windows as it's been mooted may well be the future. So if this is, inverted commas, the last Ashes series, the stakes don't get any higher and I want my best players playing if I'm an Australian. Josh Hazelwood will miss the clash with India due to a side strain. Do you think over the course of these six games we're going to see more of a squad mentality when it comes to the bowling unit? 
Massively, you know, and and for England as well. Um, th- this morning they um, announced that Jack Leach was going to miss the entire series with a stress fracture in his lower back, which is a real shame for them as well. Hey! Got him. Played it on. Went to sweep it very fine. And finally a breakthrough. Jack Leach provides it. This can't be separated from the impact of franchise cricket and the crowded schedule. There are, for Australia, six tests in seven weeks. They have brought players over, for example, Hazelwood, who has, who is under, you know, sorry to use the cliche, a fitness cloud. There's no way that the team you select in the first test is going to be the same for the fifth test. Yeah, if you ask that question probably three years ago, I probably would have said I'd like to play all six, but I think it's just different now. Everything's so tightly consumed together and, you know, coming off the back of probably not an ideal build-up, it's, it's getting there now, but... You know, we've got enough quicks here and, and a couple others playing county cricket to sort of cover all bases. Being able to call upon that depth is going to be mightily important and that ability to be versatile and have players who can assume multiple roles I think is going to be super important, uh, particularly when it comes to bowling depth. I mean, we see with England, you know, that they have a number of players who are already under injury clouds themselves. They've got a decision to make over whether they replace Jack Leach, who is their sort of holding spinner with... A another seam, which in turn may increase the fitness risks to all of those who play, or whether they replace him with somebody who hasn't taken part in the England side in the Basball era. For all of those reasons, I think every single player who's over there can expect to be getting a game at some point. From a batting perspective, at the top of the order, questions continue to focus on David Warner, who kindly announced this week that he wants to retire from Red Bull cricket after the Sydney test. I think, you know, I probably owe it to myself and my family. You know, if I can score runs here, continue to play back in Australia, I can definitely say I won't be playing that West Indies series. So I think if I get through this and, and I can make the Pakistan series, I'll definitely uh, finish up then. Which was a nice uh, way to sort of do the selectors, uh, you know, work for them. Did that all feel a little <laughs> presumptuous? I, I mean, I thought this game against India could determine if he gets picked against England, depending on who you read. <laughs> I would love to have just seen George Bailey's face uh, when Warner made those comments. I mean, I've got no doubt he would have laughed, you know, or at least smirked. I mean, I don't think there's anything inconsistent, you know, in David Warner doing, you know, whatever it took to pursue his own self-interest. And by the way, you know, Stuart Broad has been engaged in a very long PR battle this summer to ensure his relevance to be selected in the side as well. At the end of the day, Warner needs runs. And to give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, he did preface those comments by saying, if I make runs. I mean, that part's going to be conveniently ignored by all of us who are making conversations about it. But yeah, uh, you know, he, he needs runs in this World Test Championship final and the first two tests. And if he doesn't make those runs and it looks bad, I think the selectors uh, will ax him. To defend. Oh, ballooned up, caught. First ball, David Warner's got it, short leg. How about that for a start? Irrespective of the, the beautiful picture he's attempted to paint for the rest of us about how he'd like to go out. We're so excited for the WTC, even though some might view it as a tour game. We know it's a, a game with global ramifications. Thanks for sort of setting the scene for us, and we appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Headlines. Nathan Cleary is out of Origin 2 and he's looking seriously unlikely for Game 3 after the Panthers star injured his hamstring in the 26-18 win over St George Illawarra. You know, Nathan's not just a halfback. He's, he's one of the best in the game and he does a lot for our team. Obviously, a lot of things revolve around him. Yeah, um, we're going to be without him for a while. So, yeah, we'll learn a lot from that game tonight. And-
and push ahead. Cleary could miss up to six weeks in a blow that will wreak havoc with Penrith's title defence, but also New South Wales' Origin Series chances. The Blues now need to find a halfback. Will they go with Dalian medalist Nico Hines? Broncos veteran Adam Reynolds? Eels playmaker Mitchell Moses? Somebody else? Much to ponder for coach Brad Fittler. In the AFL, Collingwood's holding its breath as Jordan Dugowie prepares to face the tribunal after his ferocious bump on West Coast player Elijah Hewitt. After getting the handball away, it was Dugowie who laid the bump. Yeah, he's in strife too, yeah. Dugowie. Hit him high. Yep. And, Tri- yep. and Hewitt is still down with the trainers, so this is not good. And the celebrations are still rolling on the Central Coast after the Mariners' breathtaking 6-1 win over Melbourne City at Parramatta Stadium. Pretty astonishing result when you consider the Seni Coast were struggling for survival not that long ago, while Melbourne are owned by financial powerhouse, the City Group. Speaking of which, Man City won the FA Cup by beating rivals United. They remain on course for a historic treble of League, Cup and Champions League titles. They will play Inter Milan later this week in the European Decider. And the NBA Finals is tied at 1-1. After Miami scored a stirring road win over the Nuggets in Denver, Bam Adebayo was the star for the Heat with 21 points and 9 rebounds. Nikola Jokic was unstoppable for the Nuggets with 41 points. But the decision to not double-team him meant he was not able to open up opportunities for his teammates as the Heat won 111-108. to I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. And a reminder, if you want to catch the World Test Championship, you can get every ball live and commercial free on the ABC Listen app. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Thanks to Fox Cricket, the ICC and Sussex Cricket for the extra audio used in today's episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.